KISS fans, you wanted the best, you got the best. The hottest show on the net, podcast. All right, KISS Army. You wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Hello, welcome to your podcast, the official podcast of the Kiss Army. Welcome to episode 47. And we've got for you podcast number 47 and 48 back to back. We figured we'd spoil you for the month of July 2011. I'm Gary Schaller. And I'm Ken Mills. And we are so happy that you're with us. We've got a great show. Uh, Ken, first of all, you spoke to someone whose voice is legendary among the Kiss Army. Who'd you talk to? Eddie Belandis, someone who we've been wanting to have on the show for a very long time. The voice of Alive 2. Very kind guy, very cool guy. Ken, you and Mike Mayocker, our podcast correspondent, our man on the scene, you guys got a great interview with, with the one and only Eddie Belandis. Eddie was more than happy to be part of the podcast show. Now, I'm sure he, he might have mentioned this in the interview, but like, I don't know, the rumor is that he got the job because he had the scariest voice and, and he, he, uh, he scared the crap out of Gene. Is that true? Yes, it is. And the guy's got an amazing voice. I mean, it's booming. Definitely. Yeah. And he's a great guy and he's lots of fun. And if you're at an expo or a bar or wherever you happen to see him or a fishing hole, be prepared to be entertained. But before we get down to our Eddie Bellanis interview, check this out. Hi, this is Ace Frey and here's the quote of the day. Why did Peter Chris uh, quit the band? Peter just remarried. Uh, he's got himself a beautiful wife whose name is Debbie Spence. She's gorgeous. You ever see the copper tone tan girl, that big one in the big posters? Yeah, that's his wife. And I think he did all right. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, Ken, did you watch the Kids Are People 2 thing when it aired? Sure did. What'd you think? Uh, it was it was interesting. I mean, you, it was must-see viewing for a Kiss fan back then. If you were still hanging on, you, you wanted to see what was going on with the band. It was very interesting when they asked what was going on with Peter Chris. And you and I have talked about this before, which brings us to our next thing, which is a podcast contest to round out 2011. We've got some really cool goodies for you, but let's tell you about the contest. We have been asked many times on the board and many times on our Facebook page. Be sure to check that out and like us on Facebook. We've been asked, where's James, right? And the answer sounds like it could have come from the mouths of any member of KISS because, let's face it, every every guy in KISS who's ever really been in KISS has at some point had to answer some potentially uncomfortable question, questions that, uh, you know, we as KISS fans, we want to know everything for better and worse. And the guys in KISS have had been tasked with the very difficult job of making people happy. Our answer to Where's James is actually honestly, legitimately a happy answer, which is he's he's good. He's great. And he's like the guys in school the guy's got work podcast is something that we do for fun when he's on it he's on it when he can't be he can't be the funny thing is that sometimes when we talk about it or when we answer it on the message boards i i hear either paul or gene or any of those guys in my head um and because it, it sounds like a kiss answer it sounds like what we just heard in that kids or people two clip yeah yeah so we've got a contest about that the prize is a signed ace fraley poster and of course this contest is sponsored by our friends who bring this to you man Rays. With a combined 75 million records sold and an attitude that just won't quit, it's Man Rays. Man Rays is the new rock supergroup featuring Phil Cullen of Def Leppard, Paul Cook of the Sex Pistols, Simon Lafey from the Glam Band Girl. Their new album is called Punk Funk Roots Rock. Featuring their first single, Over My Dead Body. Over my- 
Available everywhere CDs are sold and at Amazon MP3 and iTunes. Here's what you got to do. Send us either in writing or MP3 file what Gene would say if he was being asked, where is James? So you got to send us the Gene Simmons response that he would give if he was trying to make things sound as good as possible. But you've got to make it sound like Gene is doing his damnedest to make things sound as good as possible. Now, you've got to say it with the words that Gene would use, and that's more than just putting the word gymnasium in there, right? That's Which is a big word. That is a big word, yes. And using gymnasium... It's a very big word. ...and powerful and attractive man, uh, those are things that, you know, we've all heard Gene say... So we're going to be judging this, and the winning submission is going to be read by Ken in his best Gene Simmons voice. Is that right, Gene? Yes, it is. Okay. So we're going to read the winning submission, and whoever wins this thing is going to get a signed Ace Fraley poster. Good luck. And, of course, that's only open to residents of the continental United States, because I don't want to ship to Upper Slobovia. There's a lot of KISS fans in Lower Slobovia. I don't want to get into that whole Upper Lower Slobovia thing. Send your response to podkist, P-O-D-K-I-S-S-T, at gmail.com. Include your name, address, and in the subject line of the email, put Gene Explains. And now, without further ado, this is our exclusive podcast interview with the one and only Eddie Belandis. If you know this voice... You wanted the best, you got the best. The hottest band in the world, KISS! You know who we're talking about. Welcome, Eddie Belandis, to the podcast. You still got Excellent. it, Eddie. You still got it. You got the pipes, Yeah, brother. but it's twice as loud. <laughs> I had to keep quiet not to wake up my uncle. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, tell your uncle hello from yes. all the KISS fans. How you been, buddy? Uh, I've been pretty good. I went to see uh, Mr. Fraley last week uh, in uh, Wisconsin, but I couldn't get in, believe it or not. You couldn't get in the first time in 35, 40 years, the promoter would not let me in. Wow. That's he was such, uh, it was a beginner promoter, didn't know his way around, gave Ace a hard time and all that. It was such a hard thing for, you know, the, for the festival to go on, uh, that he sent the assistant in to get me, and I told him, well, you're gonna have problems with Ace there because the way this dressing room is set up and everything. Mm-hmm. I told him to go worry about Ace. So at least I heard him, he sounded great. Uh, it was the first time I ever heard him from, from the front of the stage. I was all the way outside. It was uh, some kind of a racetrack or figure eight racing. Uh, it's uh, Slinger, Wisconsin. Really nice place, nice area. But the promoter did do uh, his promoting. He got all the areas. A lot of people from Indiana and uh, Illinois came. But what I noticed, uh, there was a Harley plant 10 miles away from there. Yeah. you think he would have dropped a flyer in there to uh, tell everybody there was a concert there. Yeah. He would have t- he, uh, Ace would have taken a big draw from that. Even the local people didn't even know the concert was going on. Wow. So I was that kind of a promoter. So I told uh, John, uh, his assistant, to uh, just worry about Ace, and I just stayed out in the front of the parking lot. And it sounded good. I mean, you know, coming from the stadium to the outside, you hear all the leftovers. Mm-hmm. He sounded great. He sounded oh, yeah. great. Mike, Mike still has his little licks and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he was in Pittsburgh what the night before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really good show. How was the crowd? Excellent. It was a it was a yeah. rib fest. So and oh. uh, there were a ton of Ace fans there. It was a nice little amphitheater, and he really kicked butt. Yeah, he did the same thing here. Yeah, I mean, that's the first time I heard him since '94. I, I was more furious that I couldn't get in. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I didn't get the right path to get backstage. I had all my credentials and everything, but it still wasn't good enough for this guy. So you showed the lady your credentials, and she still wouldn't let you in. Still wouldn't let me in. <laughs> 
Wow. Last time I showed some of my credentials, I got arrested. Oh, yeah. Oh, what are those credentials? Yeah. <laughs> I like the backup. No, I didn't have to use the backup. <laughs> All right, San Francisco! You wanted the best, and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! I've been waiting for this.
I know, and it seems like it's been forever, but we've been blessed recently. We've had uh, a lot of people on the show, everyone from Ace to Bruce to Pete, but we didn't want to shoehorn you into something else. This is pretty much the Eddie show. Uh, All right. Let's go. Alrighty, you are the voice of Alive 2. We're also going to talk to you about your time with KISS, everything that you've been a part of in this wacky and wild world, and what being part of the uh, KISS world has meant to you, and when did you first become involved with KISS, and how did that all come about? I was working for a lighting company out of Chicago. To be actually involved, I I met KISS once before when I was with Shana. We stayed at the same hotel in Los Angeles. We were at the Continental Hotel. We were all in the lobby. They were getting ready to go to the Long Beach Arena. And I think we were ready to go do Midnight Special when I was with John and I. And I looked at, when I came down the elevator, I see, I said, well, who are these fruitcakes with these boots? You know, I've never seen this shoe so high and all that. It was just, it was just a weird thing to see. You know, the legs were all long, the pants were all long, covering up the boots and everything like that, but they were all platform shoes and there was a lot of uh, rhinestone and things like that. I thought it was very unique. But anyway, I didn't know who the group was. And then later on, as time went on, uh, there was a lighting company in Chicago I worked for. So I went out on a call to deliver some spots. And I met Paul Chavry and the base tech. And he and I kind of clicked together. They were running short of guys to do the, to do the show. And it was like the, what was it? It was LaPorte, Indiana, I think, or Hammond, Indiana. It was one of the smallest rooms they ever played in. And the evening explosions did the ceiling and it went all over the acoustical tile and everything like that. I was just amazed at the show when I watched it because I couldn't keep my eye on the spotlight to keep the spot on cue because I was just amazed at Gene, looking at Gene all the time. That's how it started. And then as time went on, I went to go see him a few times. The lighting company that was hiring to go out with them hired me to go out with them. And I said I was a lighting uh, tech. And during that whole process, it was just before the... Uh, I worked as a lighting tech until they went to the Europe for the first time. When they came back, I came back uh, working uh, with them, which was a destroyer tour. I became working with them as a bodyguard because I knew Big John and everything. Big John. They got, they got rid of the other guys and they they put me in. Could so you that's tell how us? that started. John Hart, who, uh, who I knew, that got me in. And he was... Um, he also worked for me when I was with Sean and I, too. He was like a bodyguard for me when I was with Sean and I. So at that time, he was working out at, uh, working for, uh, John, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but the guy that ran the Capitol, the- uh, Passaic Theater. Okay. In, uh, in uh, Passaic, New Jersey, at the Capitol Theater, that's what it was. I've been blessed, too, you know. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to Podcast. Once you got in with Kiss Eddie, what were your official duties, and then what were your unofficial duties? <laughs> well, it, that's a long list because it switched from day to day. John and I always flipped uh, core, you know, coin to see who had to do what. Most of the time, uh, when there was two of us, we either he, I went with the luggage because then I got my time to spend time at the hotel, and he went to the arena to take care of everything after the group was settled in. But as time went on, we got bigger. We hired two more guys to work with us. My time was spent with either Gene and Peter or Paul and Ace, or they switched around. Never those two guys were together. Peter and uh, Peter and Ace were never together. It was always one of them along with them. I, I don't know. That's the way it worked out. 
So there was either Gina Lunlimo and Paul and the other, but uh, it was never Peter and Ace or Gina and Paul together. They kind of spread themselves out. Okay. And the duties were very hard. Um, you know, after the sh- after the show, you would have to go back to the hotel. If you were lucky, you had you didn't get slobbered over by Gene because you had to take his uh, help him get his uh, outfit off. And that's what that was the smelliest, wettest, <laughs> slimiest. We could never wear clothes. To, you know, there were normal clothes. After you finished, you looked like you got out of a bloodbath. Wow. Because of the, the clothes, you know, his stuff, he would just, like, peel off and it would hit you. And the, the slime and the blood would be all over you. Yummy. So uh, that was the slimiest thing that he had to do with Gene, especially. Hazardous with the other guys, it was easy, you know, until they took a shower and everything. But Gene always stayed in his outfit for, for at least an hour after the show and in his makeup for at least two hours after the show. Just now, come down. we all know that Gene has a hobby, and it's called women. I mean, you guys were the people that got him basically ready for the girls, right? Well, my room was the chicken coop. Okay. <laughs> Everybody came to my room after the show. And all that. I still had no life on the road, because my room was always full with the chickens. <laughs> and they came in and picked whatever he wanted to pick. Uh, whatever. He came in with his makeup on and his white robe. And he would just uh, pick away. Now, Whether he spent the night with him, he did something with them. That's that's their story. Well, but well, I know that when we went with him, as he picked them. Well, maybe he showed them uh, his credentials as well. Shannon uh, Tweed said, "There's not much of a schmuckle." <laughs> yeah, but uh, if you, you guys all know that his tongue is a little bit too long. Yeah. So I guess he yeah. can make up for it if he if he puts the time in practice. Yeah, but the schmuckle is still a schmuckle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Were you involved at all with, uh, uh, it's been rumored over the years that Gene would uh, point out specific women in the uh, audience. Did you obtain them for Yes, him? yes, 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 yes. Uh-huh. When he, he had a, we were like uh, dogs. When he would play, we would have to go out and retrieve. <laughs> Um, and then he would get mad at time. No, 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 no. Okay. Did you ever like go out and get the wrong girl on purpose? <laughs> Not really, because there was so many of them. Oh, but then I have to tell you one story, though. All right, go for we it. We were in San Francisco. We're driving along. I forgot where we were coming back from. It was a day off, and Gene sees this girl out in the street, and he and he tells the limo driver to stop, and I tell him no. I said, don't, Gene, don't. And all of a sudden, he stops and he starts talking to her. I get out of the back seat and I go up in the front seat with the uh, front driver. And then he he pops this girl into the back seat. We started driving and then all of a sudden, you hear pounding on the window. Stop, 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 stop. And we had to pull over and stop. And he let this girl go because he picked up a guy. <laughs> That's an oops. Big oops, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a gorgeous thing, but it was, it was not normal. Well, you know, if it looks like Marilyn Monroe from the outside, but looks like... That's what it looked like, believe it or not. Oh, I so he, believe it. So Gene got to see his credentials then. His yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I mean, just to be in the back seat, you know, you know that's why I said, I'm, I'm going out there front seat. Uh, I drove with the driver, and the window went up, and then all of a sudden the window came down, pounding on the window. He said, stop, stop. <laughs> I'll tell y'all, you know, with it being hot, with it being cold, 
You know, with all these temperature changes we are going through, you know, we gotta be careful. Every once in a while you're gonna catch a little rock and roll pneumonia. But that's cool. That's good. You got nothing to worry about because when you get rock and roll pneumonia, I tell you the only person that's gonna fill that prescription for you is Dr. Love! Hey guys, this is John from Seether, and you're rocking out with the coolest podcast on the internet, Podkissed, for everything, all things Kiss. Now, you mentioned Sean and Ah. How did you wind up with them, and who else have you worked with? 
Uh, my first group that I ever played with professionally was a group called uh, Chase. They were a jazz group out of Chicago, and I played trumpet, and I was one of the youngest trumpet players in the group. Everybody else was, uh, it was like a Woody Herman type guy that made a jazz rock group. Had one hit record called Get It On in the Morning in its early 70s. And then after the group, uh, this, uh, more or less, uh, disappeared, they, they got, they crashed in a soybean field in an airplane crash. And, uh, I missed the flight and, uh, there was no longer the band. But, uh, the funny story is that Gene, Heard about that story about me missing the flight in the early beginning when we used to fly a lot. Gene always had me flying with him as a good luck piece. He always he always saw me, you know. He always looked to see if I was on a plane before we took off. There was a time that we had to take two planes in Florida, and uh, I went with the luggage so I could fly the plane. And Big John went with the the band, Big John Hart, and. He's, they're loading up, you know, and I'm going past the plane, waving at them, and all of a sudden I hear, you know, from the control tower to stop, board the flight, turn around, go back there. I had to get out of the plane and let John Hart out. They would not fly unless I was on the plane, because it was like waving to them, and they remember the story about the, the chase thing going down. But they crashed, uh, they, had a, they ran into a storm. And that's uh, all the guys that uh, were in chase. There was four of them. Uh, all went down in a plane crash. Wow. Oh, wow. So I was like a good luck piece for Gene. You know, you mentioned that elevator when you first saw Kiss. You were with Sean and on. You saw Kiss. At that time in the 70s, you know, e- even as much as it took you by surprise, like who in the hell are these guys, the climate of the music scene uh, was very different than it is today. Like, for example, people talk about Lady Gaga. Yeah, but back in the '70s, you had David Bowie, Parliamentary Funk. You had Kiss. You had Alice Cooper. So, the, you know the New York Dolls. So to see live freak shows walking around, it it was a little more common in a strange way. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it, it, I, I mean, wasn't they, as visible as Kiss was. Right. Right. Yeah, because they were. Because of the platform shoes that they always wore, mm-hmm. uh, they stuck out, you know, with the black leather and everything like that that they wore. They, uh, in normal, for everyday life, they always wore platform shoes. And Gene used these boots that he always used, like on stage, that were platform boots, you know, right? And which made them six inches taller. So they were always tall. So they always stuck out. None of the other groups, like, well, Parliament fucking Dallas, yes. Okay, they they were outrageous too. But David Bowie, it was because of the haircut and the way he wore his clothes and all that. Right. Yes, you could tell who was the star and who wasn't a star at that time. Yeah. Well, like I always remember, you know, being a kid. I mean, while you guys were out there living it, we were stuck back in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Indiana, (laughs) and you know, all of us Kiss kids that are now. Uh, you're, you're meeting at expos and stuff, you know, we would read about what was going on and we'd like see your name or see a picture, you know, you, you'd be in part of a picture or Big John Hart or whoever. Yeah. And, uh. I am, I'm really surprised after all these years. It was Lydia that got me out to come out to these things. And I was surprised how much interest there is. Uh, what the mediocre thing that I did at one time was still known to be as powerful as it was. 30 years ago. 
It is amazing. You, you, no one would have ever would have thought. And then all those little kids that were collecting those baseball cards are now the lawyers and doctors and you know whatever we all have become. It's it's kind of strange. Right. The, and the, it, New York Jer- uh, the Jersey uh, the show that I went to was good. I, I was amazed. I must have signed about six hundred autographs. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. didn't think anybody was interested in it. Yeah, plus every time. We had, uh, plus we had uh, J.R. Smalling, who did right. the Alive One album uh, intro. So you guys were the voices of the Alive albums, actually. Yeah. As I was going to say, every time I saw you, Eddie, you were signing something for somebody. You, you, were, you were a popular guy. Yeah, I, I was just amazed. Kind of. Uh, Lydia was on the show before, and she's a doll. She was the mother of Kiss. There you, you go. Ask for a better queen bee. Excellent. She held a hive together. She she did the cooking and she did the sewing at, time, at times. I heard you know uh, Peter's outfit always would get ripped up and she would always sew it up and all that. She was a seamstress or whatever, and uh, she kept it going. She kept everybody alive. Hi, she was her. the mother of Kiss. Let me put it that way. I don't know. And as far as authority goes and all that. None of the guys would want to get her pissed off. Okay. You know, she was she was like the mother in charge. She she always observed everything. And even before my time, I heard that the stories were that you know she helped them cook or whatever they had to do, made meals and uh, and uh, sewed outfits together and all that stuff. So she she was there from the beginning, and uh, in heart she still is there. You know, she will always be back. And uh, you, you couldn't ask for a better person to be a better, you know, a friend to or, you know, to talk to. For all these years, we always stayed in touch on our birthdays. Well, that's you know, we never let it go by or anything like that. Would After you say all that? These years. Would you say right. that you were, uh, she was probably the one you were the closest to in the whole organization then? I would say so, yeah. I would say so. Oh, we kept in touch. We kept in touch. There was nothing. Cool. There was nothing bad about that except, you know, uh, when Ace disappeared, you know, to went on tour and all that to do the, I forgot what tour it was, the longest tongue tour. I, I forgot whatever it was. <laughs> the tours are as long as Gene's tongue, let me put it that way. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's still going on, but, you know, it's good to hear from Ace. Just a matter of, Bob, uh, well, it was a couple weeks ago, we had a, on the three-way call, Lydia got a hold of Ace, and then I talked to him for the first time. Oh, wow. Then he asked me to be out in uh, Wisconsin, and uh, as a matter of fact, next week I'll be in Indianapolis for the horror convention. It would right. be so cool if you could introduce him live. That would be so awesome. Yeah, I, w- I would have had the chance if I would have got there without that promoter <laughs> being there. <laughs> right. I got nothing to say that's wrong with the regular you know, general public, but I got one of those passes. That only got, got me so far. Right. They wouldn't get me backstage or anything like that. So that's that's how that promoter screwed up. Yeah. Out of the members of Kiss, who did you spend the most time with on the road? I would say Gene and Ace. Mostly Gene because on a day's off, Gene never rested on his days off. I, ha- I had to find, if there was a day coming up where we are going to have a day off, he would ask me to go find a studio for him in town or wherever we were at. So he could go in there and record his songs. So he was always making demos. Yeah, he was always making demos. Wow. Every day after we would go in, we would go into, 
you know, in Savannah, I would have to find a studio in Savannah, anybody that was available to, to do a recording. Well, you have a you have a musical background. Did you get to play with him on any of the demos? I I I played with him, but I played drums. Oh. You know, I kept the beat once. Uh, Barry Acom, uh, the guitar tech, played guitar, and no, Barry played the bass, and Gene played guitar. Are there any demos that you're aware of that you played on or that you can recall? Uh, there was some uh, some basic jam tracks. That's all it was. It was a jam. That's also something else you and J.R. Smalling have in common. He, he yeah, played on yeah. demos as well. Yeah. So apparently that's part of the job. You, you have to be security, manage the stage, do the announcements, and drum. So I guess and that learn how to play racquetball with Gene that always beats you. Now, did you let him win, or was he that good? Uh, he, he, he outright won, but he, like, he wouldn't struggle for the ball, so he would like ding the ball at the end, mm-hmm. and he'd be all the way in the back there. He would complain to him, why would you just hit the damn ball and started dinging it? <laughs> he would get the point anyway, you know. Right, right. Anyway, he could win, he could win. He well, was a good sense. bowler, and he played billiards on a half-ass. <laughs> well, you know, it's weird. Kiss, Kiss still bowls to this day. Yeah. Yeah. They do. That's probably Gene's favorite. And it's We always went bowling on, uh, we had time off, but we would get a couple limos together and go out bowling. In the, in the town where we were at. Or go see a movie. And you know, it's strange because we think of this like wild, uh, band of rockers and, you know, Knights and Satan service and all those goofy rumors and here they are, just four guys from New York going bowling. Yeah, we would, uh, we would see a bowling, hey, stop, hey, we'll go there tomorrow, okay, fine, you know. Okay, we have a bowling so. date. And you know, you mentioned that he would still wear high heels of some sort. And it, you know, I remember like them talking about, uh, uh, like going to Japan and how they stood out like a sore thumb, but in a way they still stood out like a sore thumb here in the U.S. of A. because yeah. when you get, you know, guys that are six foot tall with all, um, you know, dyed black hair walking into a, a truck stop, you know, they have to be something, you know, something's going on there. Yeah, the, the shoes. You, you know, people always looked out at the shoes because they made them so tall. Yeah. It was kind of overkill because really Pete was the only one that was like, uh, what, he under was flats at times because of the fact of it hurt his arches from playing drums. Right, right, right. You know, so he always wore capizios or he, some kind of a, a real soft shoe that he get his foot in. Because when he played the drums, you know, he always had to keep that heel. He, he only wore the heel for the picture's sake, and sometimes, uh, let me think, I would say only 80% of the time, uh, there was 20% of the time that he wore the high heels when he came out on stage. Right, right. The rest of the time, I was getting ready to go behind the drums. You've got a pretty strong ego. You're a dynamic person. There's a lot of dynamic people, personalities, and kiss. You had to have butted heads at times. How many times were you actually fired from KISS? Okay. Uh, now, that we're talking about egos. Let me tell you this. How can you not help have an ego? You were the biggest band in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And you get the opportunity of starting this show with the intro, mm-hmm. and everybody waits for you to come out with those words. How can you not have an ego? Sure. <laughs> 
it, it did rush to my head, you know, because it, it, it was a thing at a time, and uh, I got fired 18 times. 18? 18. 18. 18. 13 by Paul. Two by uh, Peter, two by Ace, and twice by G, which added to 19. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was some, some reason. What's the most absurd reasons you were fired for? Well, the normal ones with Ace and uh, Peter was because they were drunk or they were too high. They <laughs> forgot. Or, You're fired. <laughs> yeah. Okay, where you go? Well, you fired me. I'll get back there, I'll kill you. <laughs> you know, that was ace. Uh, Peter denied, well, I don't remember. I don't remember what you did, you know. I, I, I didn't mean it, though, you know. You, you still hired you. But with Paul, it was always a three-to-one vote. And uh, lucky for me, I had the number 13 came through, where it was always a three-to-one vote for uh, for me to be there. Wow. The band. Okay. Well, a lot of the times, basically, you were these guys as babysitters, and and I I imagine that uh you know people from the coin organization were trying to to keep the the money coming in, the ball rolling, and the and the stars happy, but there had to be that balance, and there there had to be times where you were basically a babysitter for all of them, whether it be uh, spending wise or. Uh, party-wise or whatever. I mean, sometimes, you know, it, they were the star. It was hectic. It was hectic, okay? Yeah. It was, I had no life, uh, you know. More or less of my time was dedicated to being on the road, you know. You enjoyed yourself. It was fun to do. I mean, if I didn't have other things to fall back, I would never even thought of doing what I was doing. Because you got, you got to see the world for free. You got to travel in style. You got to eat the best restaurants, and then finally they started picking up the laundry bill because Gene started slobbering all over us. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, got to tour Japan with Kiss, uh-huh. and uh, seeing all the pictures and all the fan magazines back in the day, it looked like it must have been a wild time. What memories stand out from that tour? I think for the guys it was the culture. I've been there before when I was with Shadana and Chase, and uh, the promoter remembered me and all that. Uh, Mr. Udo, mm-hmm. of Udo artist, and uh, it was the funny thing was it was bigger than I thought it was going to be at times. We had the only two limos, the actually the only two biggest cars that were in Japan that was owned by the promoter, mm. two Lincoln Town cars, and they were the regular sedans. And when we got off the the first time, we just had a mask covered up. It was just a mob seat at the airport. I've never seen anything like that. Well, Eddie did. It was a mob seat all the way to the to the hotel. Eddie, Eddie, didn't they arrive wearing makeup and then they made them take it off so that they could uh, look at the? No, that was all taken care of. Oh, okay. That was the second trip. Oh, that was the second trip. Okay. Yeah, that was the second trip. Wow. So then that actually did happen. Yeah, they all passed customs. and immigration on the plane as it was going towards uh, Japan. You, you know, you might have had to show them your credentials again. So, even <laughs> um, <laughs> that, they would have ran to, all the way to China if they saw our credentials. Right. Uh, <laughs> Big John and I were always sent ahead of time to make sure everything was okay. I, we I, rarely I, ever left the group. Well, getting back to Japan, you were telling me Ace thought you spoke Japanese. You want to tell us that story? 
there was always uh, the place that the promoter had set up for us to go to the shop, you know, so they wouldn't take advantage of us and give us discounts. There was a place called the Miami Motor Boat Camera Club in Tokyo. So he said, I want to go buy cameras. So I took Ace to the camera store, and I'd been there before. So I kind of like knew the guy. So Ace goes, uh, oh, okay, I'm going to buy a camera. Okay, ask him, ask this guy uh, how much for this camera, that body, and that bag. And I would say, excuse me, how much for this camera, that body, and that bag? Oh, 2,500 yen. And I go back to Ace, 2,500 yen, Ace. Oh, okay, ask him. How much for this camera, that body, and that bag? And I would do the same thing over and over again. Like, he didn't hear the guy, like, say how much it was, because I had to go back to Ace and tell him how much it was. Ace actually thought I spoke Japanese. <laughs> Classic. Um, and he would get his discount, and we'd be happy. We all bought Nikons. And, but it was like that in every store, you know. I always take control of the... the the thing when it came down to transactions and all that, you know, he always stood in front of him as he laid out his yen to go pay for something. What was the Japanese uh, fans like, uh, you, you know, in, in, in comparison with the United States fans? Oh, my God. They they were boisterous. They were much, uh, they were so loud, it was unbelievable. And so wild, they would they would stay out of the, you know, outside the hotel and wait for us to come out. I mean... We couldn't go anywhere in Japan without being followed. And we had a, uh, this, I believe it was the second time we were there. We had, we had extra security and that was the Tokyo Secret Service that was with us. And they were, they were, they always surrounded us because the crowds got bigger every time we tried to go someplace. They were always mobbed by fans. So for us to go out and enjoy ourselves, at, th- at times we went out karaoke bars, you know. Or pachinko bars, that was big. One of these pin type, uh, steel ball things, pachinko. Mm-hmm. A machine, uh, type, uh, game. So we would go to the pachinko bars and all that and play pachinko for a while. So, but, uh, our time was cut down to mostly at the hotel, sorry to say that. There was a funny time when they, it was their first time to Tokyo, we were at the Tokyo Hilton. And, and uh, everybody's, you know, it was towards the evening. Everybody was getting dressed up. I said, by the way, your outfits for the evening are laid out on the bed, which I told all the guys to wear, you know, which actually turned out to be pajamas. <laughs> so here, here we, some of us are walking around the hotel, going down to the lobby in our pajamas with bare feet because none of the shoes are fit us. None of the Japanese shoes fit us. So here, here, here we are in the elevator, you know, like three goons and us standing in front of these people that are formally dressed in their Japanese wear. With the long hair and all that, they all laughed. They all laughed. They couldn't know what the hell was going on. Wow. But uh, we were, I said, yeah, it's the Japanese custom to wear. They're accustomed to wear. But it was, it was all Japanese pajamas, Japanese uh, uh, panjas or whatever they call them. Now, you mentioned cameras. One of the jobs you and Big John must have had at some point was we. The, there's the legends and the stories of the times where uh, either a, a paparazzi or a photographer would show up, or a fan would show up and start snapping pictures, and you yeah, guys... Yeah, we, we had a collection of cameras smashed, or the film ripped out of the camera itself. Gene would not tolerate that if he saw... If you're eating and a, a flash would happen and you didn't catch it, 
he would bark at you to tell you where the camera was, what corner, and you had to go up to the table, get that camera, and, you know, you throw him a $5 bill or a $10 bill for the film. Wow. And then bring the film back to him. Here, here's your retreat. But, uh, yeah, those were the early days. It was before they had their makeup taken off and all that. Right. right. And they tried to still prevent their likeness. They tried to prevent their face from being exposed. Mm-hmm. Keep the mystique. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, well, it lasted a long time. It lasted a long time. Right. You know, it's 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 a sad thing that they didn't keep all that film. Imagine the books they could sell with uh, all those pictures. It was just brought to my attention that somebody's trying to try. Uh, try uh, Ken Sharp was doing another, you know, behind-the-scenes book. Do we have any old pictures? I said, what do you think we did all those years? <laughs> if, if there are pictures, there's secret pictures that people and fans have. We have no pictures of that, you know. At that time, we never carried a camera to take a picture of anything. But uh, cameras were taboo. Right. You know, even to the stadium, to the sound checks, to the hotels, and sometimes at the airports, you know, bowling alleys and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were taboo. And sometimes some of the big paparazzi, they would not give your camera up at all. Right. Especially when we used to go to Studio 54. They well, were cutthroats, boy. They, they, you know, they had our cameras ready in their pockets, you know, with a hole cut out, ready to take your picture. And there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, Big John and I got away with a lot for you know, not getting into trouble by taking, you know, grab, snatch and grab a camera and pulling the camera film out, you know. But the, the press never had any respect. If they could get a picture and get it printed, you know, that was it. And there were photographers that were our own photographers, Bob Gruen, right. Neil mm-hmm. Preston, and a few others. They were our own photographers, and they could take pictures as long as they want, because they were authorized by KISS. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there was no worry about that, but it was, right. well, it was all the outside, you know. I had a picture like that as a Polaroid. It was Paul Stanley's birthday party, and it was all four of them. All for uh, without makeup in drag with me in there. <laughs> I've and actually the seen kiss, that picture. Yes, that's in the history book. Yeah, yeah. correct, correct. And I never sold out. The, uh, yeah, I could have sold the picture out, but then you know you wouldn't be friends with them nowadays. something where we're going to name each member of the band or some people that were part of the the kiss circle and we want your opinion of them okay all right let's start with mr bill o'coin can you give us your thoughts on bill o'coin as i said in part of the eulogy that lydia put out at the end you wanted the best bill was the best and he was the best um it was a long period of time when kiss played the rose bowl for the, I did the Weenie Rose to the Wango Tango concert. I was sitting backstage in a case just enjoying myself. And the guy came up to me and asked me, are you Eddie Blandis? I said, yeah. He says, I got somebody in the front that would love to meet you that knows you. And then uh, he went and got him, and, he, and Bill came running up 
gave me the biggest. I haven't seen her like for about 10, 15 years. This was, I think, in, oh, God, what was it, 90? 96. 96, okay. Such a great pleasure to see Bill Coyne. You couldn't ask for a better man. He was, he was the Brian Epstein of the band. Still, you know, in my heart to this day, you know, he's, he's passed on. It was just amazing how quick he went. Yeah. Uh, he always stayed at Lydia's and I talked to him a couple times at Lydia's and he always gave me praise for being the happiest guy and, you know, around and made everybody happy and caused trouble too, but still, <laughs> he, 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 you know, he acknowledged me and that was, that was great to hear. That Bill was the most classiest guy you ever met. He was well dressed, well spoke, spoken, and uh, he, and whatever he touched, he, at one time he had the Midas touch. He had uh, all those groups that were trying to uh, uh, come up. He had Billy Idol. Mm-hmm. He had Stars. He had uh, Piper, Billy Squire, and all that. And uh, he was on his way. He, uh, as time goes on, things have changed with Kiss. When Kiss decided to change, they lost uh, the fifth member of the group, and that was uh, Bill Coyne. You know, they were all looking for other management deals and all that. But uh, as far as I know, today Bill was the best. You couldn't ask for a better manager. He had a lot of respect from a lot of people that I saw in the business. And that, you can't take that away from anybody. Right. And yeah, I never heard anybody say anything bad about Bill. And, uh, this business is great because that's how you, you know, that's how you deal, wheel and deal. Only deal with people that you know and you can trust. That was Bill. Well, let's speak about Sean Delaney. Sean Delaney was one of the wildest guys I ever met. Uh, he, he's the one that got me to, to do the intro. He he thought I had a good voice and all that. He uh, he put me up to doing that a couple of times. And when I went to audition like for Gene, I scared the shit out of Gene that I, he said I had a job and I got it. <laughs> Sean was a creative genius. He was a little wacky uh, to a lot of people, but that's how creative geniuses are. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time when he was doing. Uh, I forgot the name of the group that he had. Uh, he had he had a recording session in uh, Los Angeles, and he invited me down there to do the ending part of the, the bar scene. Uh, Don't be cruel. Uh, I forgot the name of the group that it was. Toby Ball. Uh, it was Toby Ball or somebody else. Okay. And um, uh, Sean, we all got together in the big circle. Started uh, Richie Fontana, Billy Squire's drummer, was there, and he sang in on it. Mm-hmm. It was a record, it was an old uh, revival record, uh, Don't Be Cruel. Wow. It was like a big bar scene, Don't Be Cruel. And it was, it was, it was great. Was you know, it? That was, that was, was the last time I saw him, he disappeared for so many years. I had no idea what, what he was doing until he showed up over at, uh, over at, uh, Lydia's place and I got a phone call from Lydia. And you remember this guy? Hi, Eddie, how you doing? <laughs> So that's how he talked. He talked with a gravel voice. But he was a pretty respectable musician, too. And uh, his loss, too, came brother as a shock. That was a few years ago, I believe, about three years now. Okay, let's go to Gene Simmons. What can you say about the demon? The demon is the demon. When he's got that makeup on, you do not feed him. 
otherwise he'll bite. <laughs> That's the way he was. He had to keep people away from him when he was psyching himself up to get up on stage. He had two personalities, one without makeup and one with makeup. Uh, just, uh, what I liked, I liked him in the makeup because he could control them more. He always like pushed you around to, to take control or take, take over because he couldn't do it, you know. And uh, when he was out of his makeup, he took control and whatever he had to do. And uh, it was good to work with. I learned a lot from him because I got to be, I, I, I got to learn a lot more with Gene of what the business was like because of who he was, where he was putting himself through to be as he is today. I can thank him for that. So he he was always that that working guy that he still projects to this day. He was always oh yeah, wrote everything down. What 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 he told me years ago, what he wanted to be as a publisher to do this came true, came true. Right. He took notes of everything what he did, where he was, what he did in his little black book. When was the last time you saw Gene? Uh, Gene, it was the before they went to Europe when Ace was with him. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It was a while ago. Wow. Okay. So, uh, but I, I, I still think that he would remember me, though. Oh, of course he would. Course. He didn't put me in his books as he remembered me, but uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, what about Paul Stanley? Paul Stanley, we always clashed. I don't know why. He was a nice guy. <laughs> if you liked it, he was a nice guy to you. But he hated you. He hated you. You know, somewhere between the times, you know, we always clashed. Either we would pick on each other or something else. Um, but uh, we were different. What, what can I say? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had his choice of the way he wants friends to be. And, of course, and I had an ego, too, you know. Everyone does. Yeah, everybody had. Uh, let's go with Peter Chris then. Peter Chris was the quietest, but the psychoist. Really? I always thought Ace would have been in a way. No, 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 no. Peter was like a cat, as he is as a uh, creature. Uh, and he, <clears throat> but he was he, he was crazy at times. I don't know if you read Lydia's book. Yeah. They bought me a chainsaw, and I used to get up early in the morning and cut the wood. <laughs> and I, I would forget, you know, being out in the country, you didn't care. Because the tour was over. But for Peter, he still stayed up until 5 o'clock in the morning and went to sleep until about 6, 7 o'clock. And I'd be out there cutting cutting wood, right? And he'd come out with a shotgun and blast it off a couple times in the balcony, standing there naked, going, What the hell are you doing? I just went to sleep. You know, I said, Chopping wood for the fireplace. Well, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, you know. And then there's my good buddy Ace, I guess, right? Yep. Yes. He's the Ace Man, the Space Man. What can you say about him? Yeah, he he and I had more stories and more things that we've done than the whole band together because we had fun together. We made it fun, you know. When we had a day off, we did some crazy. Who would hire a limo to tell a limo driver get a couple fishing poles and take us to the best fishing spot and wherever we were at? Wow. To go fishing and pack <laughs> sandwiches and had a picnic and enjoy ourselves. And we would go fishing. 
Now, see, people, they're, they're waiting to hear the story of how, like, you know, Ace glued his furniture to the ceiling <laughs> or, you know, he snorted this or drank that or, you know, skydived out of a hot air balloon or something goofy and here he's <laughs> doing Andy Griffith going fishing. Andy yeah, Griffith going in a limo. Fishing, <laughs> running a boat, you know. Uh, it, it, it was just fun. You know, we did normal things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of Ace's big things was to hit the pawn shops to see if there were any old guitars. Okay. Yeah, he had a hell of a collection back then. Yeah, so we, we used to go into strange towns and we'd take the limo and just drive around and just sightsee. That's all we did most of the time. Or we would stop and have a piece of corn. He loved corn. Really? I like corn, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it sounds like Ace wanted to live in Mayberry. Yeah, yeah it was. Every time when we were in Connecticut, Ace would come by with a bushel of corn. We had so much corn, we would, like, take one bite out and throw it out into the forest. And we had some, I mean, we were stuffed with corn. <laughs> and it, and if, if I, you know, just, just going by the kind of personality that Ace was, it's like, if Ace is doing it, everybody's doing it, right? Oh, Yeah. So everyone's eating corn, whether you like corn or not. You got a We're cop. We're having corn. Yeah. Hey, come on, take a bite, take a bite of this. Isn't it sweet? You, is... see, you, you know, like you don't finish the whole corn. You take like two big chunks out of it, the best buttered pieces, and just and throw the rest away out into the forest. And we would sit there. And Ace was a good, Ace was a good drinking buddy too, because he liked his beer. Are, now wait and, a second. Um, are, are 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 we actually speaking about Ace Fraley saying he likes the <laughs> beer? Are are, are 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 you telling us a new story here, Eddie? <laughs> Ace loved his beer, and uh, when we were in Japan, Big Joe knew how I like to drink beer. But uh, there were, we the promoter guy took us to the restaurant that we all ate, and we had a contest there. I bet you Eddie could drink beer faster than Ace can. The whole band had money on Ace. The only one that had money on me was Big John. So we got it together. We looked at each other. It got the biggest steins and filled them up with beer. It was uh, Japanese beer. And if you can imagine that, we're ready to take it. I chugged mine, right? All the way down and I dropped the glass down on on the table. I was done. Ace was still going, goop, goop, goop. Wait a minute. I'm almost finished. Goop, goop, goop. And when I chugged it down, the whole band just saw me go, oh, man, we lost. (laughs) (laughs) That's because Ace was full of corn. (laughs) Ace was full of everything. There was a time that we went into the store. We went to San Francisco. And Ace and I always went out, you know, to to restaurants and bars. So we're we're staying at the Biaco Hotel, Japanese hotel, from the Winterland, down the street from the Winterland. Or was it the Cow Palace we were at? I forgot one of those two places. And we go, uh, I think it was Market Street or Post Street, we found a bar. It had a strange bar that had trains running around all over the elevated trains. It was like a trainee place. It was a nice, you know, uh, African motif and everything like that. And we were making headways with the bartender. We were cracking jokes. Ace was cracking jokes and all. Ace is buying me, you know, like $50 shots of cognac and scotch. All of a sudden, this guy off the street walks in there, Mr. Pimp. He comes in and walks in there and sits right next to Ace, and Ace looks at me. 
and looks back at the guy. Guy's all fully dressed, jeweled out and everything like that. And he goes, uh, you know, he says, excuse me, but do you have the time? Ace looks at me, and he winks, and I wink back at him. He says, yeah, time for you to fucking leave. <laughs> and, and the guy just totally gets shocked and walks out. The bartender cracks up, the whole bar that was listening in. It was like a quiet moment, what Ace is going to say. But for me being there, Ace was not fair to saying that. Yeah, time for you to fucking leave. Uh, what about uh, Jeanette? She was the quietest one. She was exactly like when, uh, I gotta give you a demonstration. We go into this, uh, pet store. They're looking for a pet. They, uh, they, I guess, uh, Jeanette wanted to buy a bird. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jeanette puts, you know, I'm handling birds because I, I love birds. I know how to handle them. But Jeanette puts her fingers in with a parrot bird, right? And starts chewing on her finger. And you know how slow Ace is, is the way Jeanette is. Like that. She goes, and she calls uh, Ace always, Oh, it's bird biting my finger! She she was a crack up. She was like, uh, who's the guy, the one, George, uh, George Burns, his yeah. wife. Yeah, Gracie, like right? Gracie, yeah. Yeah, like Gracie. She was, she was like that. You mentioned you worked with Shanana. What was it like coming from the world of Shanana to Kiss? What was the biggest surprise and what was the biggest adjustment? The crowds, sold out crowds, crowds that appreciated the group, the excitement, you know, just, uh, the thrill of the moment to be there. Uh, I was doing lighting. It, it was like, it was just amazing, you know, the, uh, how technical we were at that time to where it's at now. We were much technical then. I was just starting out when we did Cobo Hall for three nights. That was one, th- that was another great thing about Bill Coyne. Bill Coyne went, you know, after we finished doing Cobo Hall, Bill went around and gave us each a hundred dollar bill. And thank us for doing a show, doing a great show. And back then, you know, people may not realize it now. Back then, a hundred bucks was right. And we broke so many groups in the in the business. Mm-hmm. You know, with ACDC, Golden Earring, uh, Sammy Hagar, stuff. Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, all those. John groups. Cougar. John Cougar. Yeah. 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 Tons well, of. They, they all opened up for us. Cheap Trick. How can you forget Cheap Trick? And it was, uh, that was the, the, the day we did Cobo, uh, not Pontiac Stadium. Mm-hmm. It was Kiss Cheap Trick by Bob Seeger, I think it was. Uh-huh. And one other group. And you know, Eddie, we were talking about $100. You know, people don't realize, but like I saw recently, there's a picture going around the internet of a ticket or, a, or an ad for a show. There was Uriah Heap, Bob Seeger, Kiss, and Thin Lizzy, and like tickets were $5. Oh, right. yeah. You know, so yeah, I have one of those tickets. My you know, collection. And like you think about it, like what would the meet and greet cost now? What uh, two dollars and fifty cents? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know how they have the meet and greet yeah. these days. Exactly. How long were you with the band? Uh, when did you start? When did when did you leave? I was with them from 1974 till September 15, 1979. As time went on, it got much more classier, much more visual. The crowds got bigger. 
you know, we were much more involved with the group itself than uh, anything, the protecting the group, mm-hmm. because of, you know, fans and all that stuff. Now, when you're going around through the expos and you see all the merchandise tables, and you used to see this stuff sell for like $2 or $3, which was a, a lot of money for a kid back then. Yeah. And you see what this stuff is going for today. Doesn't that blow your mind? It blows my mind. The There's, original stuff? Yeah, the original right. stuff is... From, uh, yeah. That's, that's priceless. Right. Because you could, still weren't that many made. Right. And you could get a, a belt buckle. I have you know, some of the old magazines. You could buy a belt buckle back then for $5. You see it on eBay, the same belt buckle today. They're going for $45, $50, you know? Yeah. The market well, will drop. I saw how many vendors there are. And I'm surprised there are those vendors that are making that much money. They're making a living. I'm very happy for them. It just blows my mind. I mean, uh, when Peter Chris was injured in a car accident, my brother and I wrote him a letter, you know, saying get well. And we got this signed picture back, but it wasn't signed by him. You know, it was done by a secretary or whatever. Or and me. Uh, yeah, or you. And, you know, might might have been you. And uh, and and you know, we also got this thing saying join the Kiss Army for a whole five dollars. Mm. And back then, I said to my brother, "Well, if we put our money together, we can join the Kiss Army." <laughs> <laughs> Five dollars, huh? Yeah, five whole dollars. Now it's fifty dollars. Yes, so. it is. That's amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely. And that's still as powerful as ever. Yeah, it's. Yes. How how does that set with you? I mean, is it, don't don't you find it kind of strange that it's still going on? Are you surprised in any way, shape, or form? Going to the expos and all that. Yeah, I'm I'm just totally shocked. I, I am, you know, just to see the interest. You know, sometimes when I go up there, I do, you know, a, you know, a little session of talk, Q&A, and a little kid, a little eight-year-old would ask me all these questions. I said, you weren't even born then, and the people would laugh. <laughs> and the mother would say, it's all the Internet. And I said, oh, okay. And, uh, there's another book that was done by Gooch. Uh, there was a touring book. Yeah, right. Kiss Alive. And, yeah, and I did that book. I corrected most of all the stories that were in it. I was always involved with everything what kids did in that time. And Big John, I was involved, I was more outspoken than Big John. Big John was a quiet guy. He was, uh, he was very observant, but I was the one that always came out with the lines and, you know, made the contacts and all that stuff. What was the weirdest thing you ever witnessed a KISS fan do to try to meet the band? And what's the weirdest question you've been asked by a fan at an expo? We were in Pittsburgh. Uh, it was in Memphis. It was one of those two towns. I, it was amazing on how a young kid got a hold of one of uh, the guy's rooms in the hotel. And they didn't mean to do anything, but I looked at it, and I was just amazed at how they got it. Whether it was our clumsiness or whatever. And we had... You know, and uh, one of the craziest things that fans did, somehow they got into our rooms and fell asleep. You know, some of the girls fell asleep in the beds and covered themselves up. Wow. We had to clear the room, and then all of a sudden you pull the sheets on, there's a naked girl. <laughs> Showing you her credentials. All her credentials. Well, hopefully they see color. that. <laughs> in color. <laughs> 3D. <laughs> 
Well, what was mommy at that time? My God. I never experienced, you know, I'm ready to take a you know, chair and smash it over the, wait, that, uh, that bed's a little bit too lumpy. There's something in there, you know. <laughs> Pull on the sheets and then here's a girl. Wow. Yeah. That's well, some of the crazy things. <laughs> yeah. Or there was a guy that had a, a jumpsuit made exactly like the cruise jumpsuit and carried an empty drum case all around the stadium. And my eye caught that, and uh, it's that Kiss Road Crew. It was one of the jumps, the old great jumpsuits that we used to have. And uh, and that guy got in with that. It was amazing how some people do to get into the show. Wow. He said it was part of the crew. He had a crew jacket of uh, jumpsuit on, and he came in with an empty jump case that he probably would have ditched when he got in there far. You mentioned you got fired several times. What actually led to the final parting of the ways at that point? Because at, at some point it just became a job and they had uh, their way. Well, it was the last right. two times it was by Gene. Once when he was with uh, Cher, mm -hmm. who after I got fired from Gene, I went to work for Cher. Cher, I had me right away. Really? Yeah, and then, uh, <clears throat> and then another time was after we were in L.A. for a while. I was in L.A., Gene showed up. Uh, at a club, and I was there. He asked me if I wanted to go back to work with him, and he was going out with Diana Ross. That was uh, 18 and 19. So then 19 finally took. Yeah, 19. Oh, you're still the same. same way. I said, gee, what can I do, you know? I took the Rolls Royce home to clean the dog shit. <laughs> out of the back seat, you bought the puppy for the Diana Ross. <laughs> you know, he... And he pleaded with me, and he does do, he does ask for a favor, because he asked me for a favor, when he asked me to call him Diana, and not to call her Diana, to call her Miss Ross. I said, if she can't call me Mr. Belandis, I can't call her Miss Ross. <laughs> and that fired me. <laughs> it was like, he was looking for a good time with her, and he had to do everything that he had to please her to do, you know. She was who he, she was, he was who he was, you know. Right. And Cher fixed them up on a blind day for him. Now, you basically saw the guys go from New York to L.A. And um, when I say that, I'm not necessarily sp speaking about locations. I'm talking about mindsets. How did Kiss going L.A. change them? Well, it was not until uh, Gene was, I think, the first one because, uh, because of Cher. Gene hated L.A. You know, he couldn't stand L.A. at all. And he couldn't stand Vegas either. As time went on, he got used to it, you know. And then Paul moved uh, in, into uh, into Hollywood, followed by Peter. But there was a time when we did all the solo albums that we were all there except for Ace. Ace did his on a... In Connecticut. Yeah, in Connecticut. Yeah. And everybody else did it out there and rented big mansions and all that stuff. But we were... I was always with Cher. That was another part of my life I didn't have a lot because the kids always wanted me. Mm -hmm. Chastity and, uh, and Eliza. Mm -hmm. They always liked me being around because I was like a big brother to them. Well, it had to blow your mind. Now you're hanging out with Cher and her family. You know, you probably saw her on TV back in the day and. Yeah. You know, here I am. How did I get here? That is the, that, that is probably the good, uh, name for your book right there. How did I get here? Uh, like, well, that's like a good That would be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. I'll Who's even write that? the foreword for you. So. How the hell did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's very the, good. the Eddie Bellin does story. How in the hell did I get here? Yeah. <laughs>
Do you have any special uh, mementos that you save from your time with Kiss? I got my small, small collection, you know, personalized stuff from uh, Gene and Paul, Ace, and Peter. Anything so, special that stands out? Mm, no, nothing really. Nothing special, you know. It's all to my name and all that stuff. It's, you still got uh, your uh, fishing pole and can of corn for me. So. <laughs> uh, I always carry one in the back seat in case Ace wants to go fishing. Oh, there you <laughs> go. I had one in the back seat when I, when I went out to Wisconsin, but I never got to see Ace. Oh, that would have been a trip. Yeah. If you had to sum up your time with Kiss with one word, what would that word be? Unbelievable. It kind of sums it up, the whole experience. Yeah. What did you think of Kiss's music when you started with them? I liked the rock. I liked the beat. It was the music that you keep the beat with the feet, the bobbing heads of the movement of anything. It was right on there. You could ask. For, it was like ACDC. ACDC had a good drum beat. It always had a good guitar kick into it, and you couldn't ask for anything better. Rock and Roll Lover had a couple things that were on there that were really great rock and roll beats. Ace's song, uh, a solo album, uh, Speed Back to My Baby, whatever the name of that song yep, was. That was it. Mm-hmm. You know, when it started, I heard that in Neil Bogart's office room when they brought the demo tapes in to hear it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gene, uh, Gene was a little bit taken by it because it was better than some of the stuff he was working on. And 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 he ad- admits that. Yeah, and it, when he, well, out of those big speakers that you Neil know, Bogart, Bruce Burr brings it in. He says, "You got to hear this." And when it blasted, I said, "My God!" I said, "Yeah, that that's it. That's the kick." Yeah, you because. Know, Every every beat has its own beat of a song. James' mm-hmm. music was geared off into it. He put anybody on there to make it happen. Right. Okay. It was a good album. It was a good album, but what, I think it could have been a lot harder. Which was your favorite of the four solo albums? Ace. Okay. Which was the worst? Uh, I would say uh, I would say Peter's. Yeah, Ace and Paul seem to get the. The thumbs up more than the other two for whatever reason. Yeah. Like when you uh, think of Kiss, what one song pops right into your head? Rock and roll all night. That made you furious that he wanted me to sing along in, uh, in the rehearsal studio where they were playing that. I said, gee, I forgot the words. <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget the words to rock and roll all night? Yeah. Well, what's the words? I forgot the words, Gene. Well, we're going to thank you for being on the show. Hey, listen, anytime. It was a pleasure to do this. I've been waiting for it to do it. Uh, and I heard nothing but great things about you guys doing this thing. Well, and thanks. Keeping, keeping the spirit alive. Well, this is going to be episode 47. So we've been at this for going on five years. It's amazing. Who would have ever right. thought there was so much to talk about? That's about as long as the, when I did the first Kiss Expo in Joliet. Yeah. It's been about five years. And, you know, every time that I go to these things, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And mostly all the stories that they do want to hear is all the ace stories anyway. Bumping into you in New York, we met in the lobby the night before the expo. Just for a fan to come up and talk, you're you're very personable. Anybody that attends any of these things, you are the guy to go to. You've got stories, and you're just a great guy to talk to. 
I second that. I, 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 I enjoy it because, you know, you guys, you guys were there. Uh, I'm very thankful that you guys remember all that stuff. And so all the fans that remember that. That's kind of what it was like at the uh, Indie Expo. The next day, after the expo is over, there's about 20 people sitting in the lobby with you, and you're just, you know, talking, having fun. I like having a, I like being a Santa Claus in a big red yeah. chair. I remember that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And Mr. Speed was there. Yeah, well, speaking of, speaking of Mr. Speed, what do you think of uh, seeing tribute bands? I mean, you never thought back when you were living it that you would see all these bands paying tribute to Kiss nowadays. It's amazing because, you know, when they all ask me how they were, how they were, how can you, can you make a mistake out of Kiss music? If they look if they look like the part, they're in the outfits, and you just blur your eyes, you think that they were the group. Yeah, Mr. Speed, they're friends of the show. They were very thrilled with what you had to say about them. Yeah, and uh, tell them good luck, you know. Uh, tell them uh, hi. All right, and, absolutely. Uh, I'm on, a, on Facebook with them and all that. I hear everything, what they do. Set the pace. It's set in history. Mm, you just yeah. got to keep it the same and yeah. don't deviate from it. The, I mean, with the moves that they make and everything like that, that's what makes the group. Well, Eddie, one of the coolest things about getting to know you, you've, you've met Mike, me, and uh, Jeff, and it's just uh, so cool. Jeff was saying, you know, you know, you, you won't believe it. Uh, I'm walking through a grocery store, my cell phone rings, and it's Eddie <laughs> just checking up and seeing how I'm doing. I said, I, I totally understand. He called me and wished me happy birthday. And, and Mike, you know, he he's now getting to know you, and you're just yeah. a great guy, and, and we love you so much around here. Well, I appreciate that. You guys are great, and uh, you're doing a great thing. For the spirit, more or less, that you'll never let it die. Uh, of course, there'll be someday an ending, but you know what? While it's still alive and well, well, we'll keep on going. Even though the stories are the same when it comes out of my mouth, but they always want to hear them again and again and again. And that, you know, if it makes everybody happy, I'm happy. I'm well, happy that they're, they want to hear them. Well, Absolutely. Eddie, this, this will not be the last, uh, Eddie show that we have, trust me. Well, we'll let's get on again. And, uh, we, we just love you. And, uh, everybody grew up hearing you say that. And, uh, it's amazing how it lasted that long. And, and it's going to keep lasting, so. Okay. I'm going to have, wait, my life is going to be taken away by two days with Ace next week at the horror yeah. convention. Do us a favor and tell him hello. And we love having him on the show and we'd love to have him back on again. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to be a big hit there in, uh, at the horror convention because he usually doesn't do these things. Well, right. definitely say hi to, to him. First. I will. I will uh, definitely do that. He was only supposed to do like a 10-minute interview with yeah, us. Yeah, I heard you got out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's good. There's a future for Ace. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we, we, we just love you. Can't say it enough. Yeah. Great talking right, with you again. Thank you very much. We'll see you at the next expo. And that's our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkiss.com. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podkiss at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at Kiss FAQ. That's a website that has tons of information about Kiss and a great message board. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And of course, big thanks always to Paul Stanley. Gene Simmons. Ace Fraley. Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS. And we are your army. See you soon. PodKISS is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. PodKISS is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members, past or present. Thank you for listening to PodKISS, the KISS fanzine for your ears.
Ace, Ace, wake up, Ace. Ace, wake up, Ace. Oh, my God.